And we're going to look at the book of Philemon. And Philemon may not be a book that you've given a whole lot of attention to. I don't know. Uh, it might be a book that you may not have actually read all the way through. I talked to somebody this week and they said, I'm not even sure where Philemon is. And I definitely haven't read all of it. So, I think the Lord's got something cool in store. Um, so we're going to look at the book of Philemon over the next few weeks. Um, one of the things the Lord has reminded me of in my journey is how much truth we gloss over when we read the Bible. So uh, we got the classic hits, right? You got the Gospels, you got Paul's writing, and we, we'll get into some of the books of the Old Testament, of course, and some of the prophets and some of the. Um, but there is so much there that we often gloss over. And so if we're looking and reading the full counsel of God, right, the, all of God's Word, we need to be able to mine a little bit some of the less known books. And, and Philemon is one of those books that we can sneak past. It sometimes uh, gets past us, but it is an absolute amazing book. Uh, it's 25 verses in total, for, so a really short book. Um, and in fact, it, it, you know, it's really one of those books that if, if your pages are stuck together right, you just get right past it. You're, you're out. So you're going from Acts and then all the way into Hebrews and Philemon is, is there. And, and the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philemon. And if we were creating a, a greatest hits album of Apostle of, of Paul, right? In this, in this um, greatest hits album of Paul, not many of us would include Philemon. But I'm going to include... Philemon in my greatest hits Paul album. It's a book about reconciliation. It's a book about healing of human relationships. It's a book of forgiveness. It's a book of God's grace. It's an absolute amazing story. And I think over the next few weeks, I think God's going to have something cool to say to us. I know I've been incredibly blessed by the book. So uh, I believe he'll do that as well. Well, let's read it. So uh, Philemon 1, 1 through 10. We're going to take the first 10 verses. And again, over the next few weeks, we'll get through all 25. So Philemon 1, 1 through 10. All right, let me read it for us. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you what to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So Paul wrote 13 books in total. He wrote really the bulk of the New Testament. And Paul, 
wrote with the intention of the books going to the church at large, a wide audience to the church in Colossa, to the church in Ephesus. But here today, we have a very different sort of letter. Philemon's a very different letter. It's not a book addressed to a wide audience. It's more like a personalized postcard to a friend. It goes from Paul to Philemon. Paul includes a couple other individuals in there. But really, it's a very intimate sort of letter. And Paul wrote the book, like he says, he was in jail. And Paul was about 60 at this time. He says he's an old man. I'm not so sure 60 is an old man. But he was... Paul's about 30 when he met Jesus, and so here he is about 30 years later. He's in jail in Rome, writing this letter that's going to this individual, Philemon. And so again, Philemon's the main recipient, but he also says he includes the names of two other people. He says, Apia, Apia, I'm sorry guys, I'm not sure if that's correct, but I couldn't find a great consensus on that. And then also, he says, please share this letter in your house church. So we had a letter that went from him to Philemon, but also he includes others in this letter. He wanted others to weigh in on this. So this wasn't just a Paul and Philemon issue. It was a church kind of community issue. And so Paul's writing to for some with the intention of discussing some pretty sensitive relationship matters and some pretty sensitive church matters is why Paul was writing. These were matters that needed to come out into the light, matters that actually need to be addressed. Um, you know, we had Valentine's Day this last weekend, and uh, or this last week, I should say, and so uh, this letter is what I would call almost a love letter. You get a little bit of a tone and flavor of that a little bit, right? Paul is writing this intimate letter from he, from him. What's going on here in his heart to Philemon? It's a look at, you know, Paul's heart, and Paul says God's intention and desires for healing. It's for reconciliation. It's for relationship. It's for restoration. It's for Christ-like love. And you get this very much love letter sense that, that Paul has in this letter. And Paul, in this letter, he's addressing this, he's addressing a broken relationship between two friends, two men, not friends, two men. He's Philemon and Onesimus. And so here's Paul as a mediator Addressing this broken relationship. Onesimus brought Paul into the conversation and says, I can't do it. I need help. And so he asked Paul to help kind of restore and repair what was broken between Onesimus and Philemon. So the whole book is really these three characters, right? You got Paul, we got Philemon, and Philemon was also a slave owner. Um, may have been a former slave owner, but in the Roman world, it was legal to have slaves. And so you had one of the slaves was Onesimus. And Philemon was a close friend of Paul, but also um, now he got to know Onesimus as well. So Onesimus was one of, again, Philemon's slaves, but Onesimus ran off. He took off. And so there's a lot of theory that he uh, stole maybe money or things or items or something. But anyway, Onesimus left Philemon. Philemon was his so-called master, and Onesimus was the slave. So we're not sure what happened exactly, but um, he was gone. He took off. 
you know, a slave could, you could work towards freedom as a slave in the Roman world. You could do that. In fact, uh, for some slaves, their life was better. They had a roof over their head. They had food. There was, you know, guaranteed, um, you know, provision there. But for whatever reason, Onesimus left Philemon. And Philemon owned Onesimus. Again, in this culture, in the Roman culture, the Roman world, um, but Onesimus has to spend really the rest of his life up to this point kind of looking over his shoulder. So Onesimus is down in Rome. And that's where he comes in contact with Paul. So you've got, again, Paul in jail somehow comes in contact with this slave, runaway slave named Onesimus. And so, but Onesimus has to look over his shoulder. He's not really a free man. He thinks he's a free man, but he's not really a free man. And uh, best case scenario, if a runaway slave was found, they'd be returned back to their master, and they'd be branded uh, with a something on their forehead. And so they had this lifelong uh, scar they have to carry around. They let everybody know they were a, a runaway slave. And worst case scenario, they're put to death. And so either way, Onesimus spent his journey up to this point, looking over his shoulder, living in Rome, you know, trying to hide in essence. And it's during this journey that he comes in contact with Paul somehow. And God has got something else in mind for Onesimus. And that's what Paul is really saying. That's what he's, he's writing. And um, when Onesimus meets Paul, at somewhere along the way, Onesimus met Jesus. Paul leads Onesimus to Jesus. So again, here's this runaway slave, takes off, doesn't know Jesus, meets Paul, and now knows Jesus. And so in the face of this, this, this conundrum, so to speak, that Paul is in, he's got his buddy Philemon on one end going, Philemon's a church leader, a church planter. Um, and then I've got Onesimus on the other end, who is now a former slave who ran away, but now he's not the man he used to be. Now he knows Jesus. Jesus came into his life. And so again, Paul's in this kind of this interesting situation in the middle of this broken relationship. But it wasn't just any old broken relationship. It was a broken relationship between two men that know Jesus. And so the Paul's letter is, how do we how do we take care of this? What do we do? And so it's a whole appeal to Philemon this morning is to act like Jesus. Philemon, it, was be, it could be within your right to ask for Onesimus back or to bring him back or put him to death or whatever it might be to brand him. But Paul says, Philemon, there's another way. There's the Christ-like way. And again, it's not just a slave. He is now a brother in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the most effective ways that, that Satan works is to, is to destroy relationships through unresolved conflict. And I'm sure there's no shortage of stories of unresolved conflict. Um, as I was writing this week, as always, the Lord is faithful to bring all kinds of stories and things to mind. There are people in my life, friends in my life, that I grieve over that we are no longer friends because unresolved conflict. Something happened and we couldn't quite resolve it. And some of the, some of the things make sense, but some of them I have to say, I have no idea why. I'm not even sure why. But the enemy is at work, and in, in he wants to divide, he wants to fragment, he wants to destroy everything. Again, from our marriages to our relationships, friendships, the church. And one of the, one of the ways he does that is through unresolved conflict. And so we always have to be on the look for, we can handle conflict either the Jesus way, right? 
or the non-Jesus way. And the intention, the hope, of course, that we would handle conflict in the Jesus way. And that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, Philemon, you could handle this in the non-Jesus way, but let me tell you, there is another way. This week I googled uh, the silliest reasons why churches have split. I didn't bring up, the, I'm not going to bring up the carpet thing, that's too sensitive. But, <laughs> but I googled, I said, well, what are the silliest reasons churches have split? I was kind of curious myself. You know, we all have stories or know of something out there that happened. Um, one of the stories I read was about a piano bench. So some people in church want a new piano bench. Some of the people liked the old piano bench. And so a group of people went and created their own church with the piano bench they wanted. A church split over piano bench. Pretty crazy thing, isn't it? It sounds so silly. Um, another story, a little anecdote I read this week, was about a pastor who wanted to wear shorts. Probably lives somewhere warm. Half the church thought, you know, well, no, 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 shorts are ungodly. Half of their church was cool with shorts. Why don't they split the church over whether the pastor to wear shorts or not? Isn't that wild? Um, another split I read about this week was, was that uh, a church split happened over those that wanted clapping in music and those that didn't and thought clapping was just totally inappropriate. That's just no, no place for clapping in, in, in worship. Crazy stuff, right? And so the enemy is at work at all points and times looking to destroy you know, the church and relationships. And so Paul's letter is just that. Be on the lookout. There's a Jesus way and there's a non-Jesus way. Um, I was reminded of a classic joke this week, and you guys may have heard this one. And so if you know it, just bear with me. Maybe a courtesy laugh or something would be fine. But um, So we have a Baptist that's been stranded on a remote island for, for 20 years. And the rescuers got to this island. And uh, they asked him, they said, um, there's three structures here. What's going on? I see three buildings. He's on this remote island. And they asked him, and, and the man pointed to one building, and he said, well, yeah, that building there is my house. Well, what's this building? Well, that's my church. Well, I see three buildings. What's this third church? He says, well, that's the church I used to go to. So while we laugh, you know, that's a, a common thing, right? And so, um, you know, the most tangible way that we express God's love and grace and compassion and care for each other is through human relationship. So, and again, the enemy wants to divide and conquer and destroy and fracture. He wants fighting. He wants conflict. And uh, he wants to carry out his evil agenda. So we always have to be on the lookout for that. And what Paul is saying in this passage, he's saying, yes, there needs to be repair, but what Paul is really saying is that there needs to be reconciliation. I want to talk about that one for, for a minute here. But reconciliation is really what Paul is talking about. And in Matthew 18, 15, Jesus says, if you know there's a problem between you and your brother, if he has sinned against you, you go to them and show them what they have done. And you're going to go and keep it just between the two of you. And so it was a move towards what was called reconciliation. And you think about reconciliation, and it's not necessarily a repair. It's not necessarily restoration. Reconciliation is this idea that um, maybe we don't skip off hand in hand. You know, maybe we don't have a big group hug and everything is okay and... Um, Reconciliation is this idea that we can agree to disagree. Does that make sense? 
And so this is what Paul is saying. He's saying there, there may never be an incredible repair between Onesimus and Philemon, where it's a, uh, they're hugging each other and they're skipping off hand in hand, but that there would be reconciliation is what Paul is saying. And so, you know, that's a reminder for us is that we're a relatively diverse group of people, right? We've got people of different backgrounds and different age ranges and different, you know, theology. And so reconciliation is this idea that we can worship together. We can worship Jesus together in a, with a plurality of, of kind of diverse ideas and thoughts, right? And so that's what Paul is getting at. And I think it would be unrealistic to think that, here again, you got Philemon and Onesimus that are going to be best buddies now all of a sudden. It's not. It's, God could do that. He can restore it. They can be best of friends. But that's not what Paul's getting at. And again, reconciliation is this idea that despite our differences or despite conflict, that we're willing to live in confession with each other, that we'll be willing to live with correction with each other, and most importantly, we're willing to live in forgiveness. Does that make sense? And so these are all the things that are needed for Onesimus and Philemon. So that's what Paul's saying. May reconciliation happen between these two men. They are both now followers of Jesus Christ. And before Paul makes this big ask of Philemon, because this is really, again, a love letter to Philemon, he kind of um, again, he kind of kind of appeals to him a little bit. And so Paul Paul says, Paul says this here. He says, he begins by kind of praising Philemon a little bit. He says, I always thank my God when your name comes up, Philemon. And here are all the reasons why I'm thankful for you, he says. He says, I'm thankful for the Christ-like love that you have for Jesus and the love that you have for your fellow believers, your neighbor. And Paul's saying, Philemon, I think a whole lot of you. And it's not far-fetched to think that Paul was using some flattering language. You get that there, right? Ultimately, Paul's going to make a request. And so, you know, just like we might, you know, hey man, you're having a really good hair day. And then we make a request or something, or, you know, say something nice, something flattering. And so Paul is telling Philemon, don't forget who you follow. You follow Jesus. Right, Philemon? You're a man of God. You love God, you love your neighbor. And so don't forget. I don't know if Philemon needed a reminder or Philemon needed to, um, it's hard to say what was going on there, but Paul did not want Philemon to forget that as he's thinking and weighing this decision about Onesimus, don't forget that it's all about Jesus. And you look at one of the, the, the common themes here in, in these first 10 verses that Paul talks about the importance of prayer. And Paul knew that prayer had to be foundational. If they were going to fix this relationship, if it was going to be reconciled, that prayer had to be the foundation to this conversation. It's only the supernatural work of Jesus that can repair relationships, right? We cannot do it on our own. And Paul says, Philemon and Onesimus, you guys may not do it on your own. Paul knew the impact of prayer. Paul says, I'm praying for you, Philemon, and hopefully you're praying about how to handle this conflict. And the same is said for us, right? When we get into matters of conflict, we get into matters of there's friction, the intention would be that we'd be praying about how to handle that, right? Because we can't do it in ourselves. 
And we're going to think selfishly or we're going to, you know, accusatory or we're going to think, you know, we're going to try to blast back. But Paul says you have to be willing to pray, otherwise it's going to fall flat. Like the, like the Bible tells us, we've got to love our enemies. We're willing to pray for those that persecute us. I think that's, there's nothing more difficult than that. I've tried to, there's been times where I've had to pray for some friends uh, that I've, there's been fractures in division. That's a hard thing to do. I'm sure you've done it and tried it. Man, it's, it's hard. But what happens if we pray for those that maybe are, you know, feel like we're being persecuted by or those in conflict is that it begins to soften our heart. We can't live in anger and also live in God's forgiveness simultaneously. We can't exist together. And so Paul is saying, you have to be willing to pray for Onesimus. We cannot reconcile conflict on our own. Again, when we try to do it without Jesus, it instead what comes out is anger and accusations and pride, and we want to convince ourselves that we're right and they're wrong, and, and Paul says, have nothing to do with it. In verse 6, I'm going to read that again, verse 6. Paul says this, uh, he says, I, Paul, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And the key word there is this idea of sharing. It's an interesting word that, that Paul uses. He says, um, and another translation is this, is that partnership. I read that this week, that Paul is using this language of his sharing and a partnership. And I want to read what, uh, what one pastor put it this way. I want to read this. I like this. He says, Paul is really saying that a special thing happens among the relationships of believers because of their faith. Through the partnerships between those that share faith, new things are possible. Things that were before thought to be impossible are now possible through partnership. So Paul, he prays that this partnership between Philemon and Onesimus would have the desired effect. Paul prays that God would set the right conditions so that something new and transformative would take place between Philemon and the slave Onesimus. Paul is going to ask Philemon to forgive Onesimus for running away, but to view him as no longer a slave, but as a brother in Jesus now. This is a very, very tall order for a slave owner in that culture. But Paul, he makes a tall order for a runaway slave. He asks Onesimus to go back to Philemon. And hopefully Philemon will receive him as a brother. Because the potential conflict is so huge, Paul prays that God will cultivate the right conditions in Paul's heart for conflict through prayer. By praying, Paul recognizes that only God can make reconciliation possible. Only God can make reconciliation possible. And Paul, in the second half of our passage, he shifts gears a little bit. He goes from this appeal, hey man, you're having a really good hair day, Philemon. But then he makes a request. So he has some flattering language and says, oh, by the way, here's what I'm asking of you. Verse 8 and 9. Let's read those again. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, 
Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, Philemon. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. You know, Paul takes this. He knows that as the spiritual father of the local church and the amount of influence and the amount of impact that he has, that he might be tempted to command Philemon to receive Onesimus back. But he didn't do that, did he? You know, Paul thought, you know, I could throw my weight around a little bit. I could send some guys to break uh, Philemon's kneecaps, right? Try to coerce him. Maybe try to get him to do what I have to say. But Paul says, I'm not going to command you to do anything because that's not what's required. Demanding is not the way for heart change, right? That's, I know that's my inclination as a parent. You know, when my kids uh, get into conflict, I want to command one kid to go apologize to another. You get in there and you make it right. Well, maybe there's maybe there's part of that, but the hope would be to be heart changed. That maybe my son would desire to go to my other son and apologize for because he's remorseful or repentant, and that would be heart change right here. And so Paul is telling Philemon that the only way for him to receive Onesimus back is through the right heart conditions that he would feel maybe some remorse or something about this broken relationship. There was fracture there. And for true reconciliation to happen, it's got to come from, again, from Philemon's heart. Paul couldn't convince him or coerce him or command him. It's got to come from right here. And, and, and why Paul doesn't say this directly, I, I think he's really hoping that Philemon will receive Onesimus back because of the grace that he himself has received. Now, for two brothers in Christ to be reconciled, they both must be willing to see they both need God's grace. Paul says, look in the mirror, Philemon. Who are you? You're just a sinner saved by grace, just like Onesimus, just like me. Look how much you've been forgiven, Philemon. And as Jesus says in Matthew 6, 15, if you do not forgive others, then you yourself will not be forgiven. In Luke 7, 47, Jesus also says, Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. But if we have been forgiven much, then he will also love much. So the question have, so the question for Philemon from Paul was this. He says, if you have been forgiven much, I hope that you'd be doing the same. And the same may be said for us, right? We want all the grace in the world from others, but we're so apt not to extend that same grace. As we look at, at uh, our final verse, verse 10 this morning, Paul writes that what he really has to say is a pretty delicate situation on his hands. Pretty delicate matters. And again, Onesimus is not just any slave. He's not just any man. He's a man that now knows Jesus. Onesimus heard the gospel. He responded. And Ironically, Onesimus is now a worker in the, in the gospel. Galatians says that Onesimus is now working to tell others about Jesus. Former slave, a runaway slave, a man in hiding who was broken. And now know, not only knows Jesus, but he's now working for Jesus. Onesimus is not the man that he used to be. Paul wants Philemon to know that what had happened to Onesimus is that he's a changed man. 
and to receive him back with all the grace and love and Christ-like forgiveness that he can muster up. Onesimus left as a rebel, but he's going to return as a brother. You know, I can only imagine the feelings that Onesimus may have had. Right? So he he did something, whatever that might be, again, whether he broke the law or stole or whatever it would be, you know, snuck away in the darkness of night. He was a runaway slave. Again, had to look over his shoulder all, all the way up to this point. I'm sure he was... He felt grieved or maybe guilt or shame or condemnation or hurt for the way that maybe he left or maybe the way that he handled things. And for whatever reason, Onesimus ran. And it would have been within Philemon's right to ask for Onesimus back and maybe to either brand his forehead, put him to death. This is Philemon's property. I want him back. But what Onesimus needed was he needed grace, he needed mercy, he needed unconditional love. Precisely what Paul showed Onesimus. Precisely what Onesimus found in Jesus. And now Paul is writing to Philemon this love letter, this letter of great intimacy, and he says, would you be willing to do the same thing? Would you love Onesimus in the same way that God loves you? As I was thinking this week, I, it's, I think Onesimus' story maybe in some ways is not terribly different than ours. You know, we run, run from Jesus at times, and we're sinners at times, and we're rebels at times, and we're fugitives, and we're looking for grace and freedom and forgiveness. That's only found in the arms of Jesus. And so my encouragement to us is that as we're thinking about running back, that we'd run back to the open arms of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank You and praise You that uh, no matter what we've done, God, that You love us with open arms. And so, Lord, as we look at this incredible story of forgiveness and grace and reconciliation, God, that uh, we are in some ways no different. God, we have sinned. We run from You, God. And that, God, You love us unconditionally. So, God, we ask that we would run back to you and run into your arms, knowing again, God, that no matter what we've done, God, that you love us. You love us unconditionally. We thank you and praise you for that. And, Lord, as we go out from here and tell others about your love, give us a boldness and a courage to tell others about your Son, Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen.